All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here today. We are in Hebrews chapter 13, and for the third week in a row, this is our final day in Hebrews <laughs> chapter 13. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run out of verses eventually, just have to quit. Uh, we will be starting the book of James for the third time next week, <laughs> uh, and I've been reading that. I'm kind of excited. James, of course, is martyred in 62 A.D. Uh, I'm saying this book was written in 63 A.D. to Jerusalem. Uh, again, that's not absolute. In fact, as we close this letter down, there's going to be some information for you to decide if this is correct or not. We know James, the book of James, uh, had to be written between like 40 and 62 A.D. Uh, because he's, he's you know, uh, martyred in 62 A.D., so we could say 60 A.D. And so it, the book of James may be one of the first books written. I've got it dated in, I think, framework at 48 A.D., before Paul was writing letters, back more towards the Galatian conflict. So uh, we'll talk about that later. But James is uh, one of the leaders in the church up until the time this book is written or within a few months of this book being written to them. In fact, James, as this book is being written and sent, may be uh, being uh, martyred off the Temple Mount. So James, one of the leaders of this church, is probably addressed in this letter when it says greet your leaders here at the end of the book. But we're in chapter 13, closing the book down with the, uh, the benediction. We'll begin in verse 20, and I know we went through uh, verse 20 and 21 is the benediction. It's got a lot of, subs- a lot of substance to it, uh, but it's all connecting the whole book together. Uh, so it's a, it's a great benediction for this book, a great benediction at any time, but it, this book really explains it. And then beginning in verse 22, it, it really switches to personal, a personal greeting to the, the churches. Uh, and again, as we're reading this, we should not think, uh, if this is being written to Jerusalem, the saints in Jerusalem, uh, that is what I'm teaching. Uh, again, I don't know, there's no address in this book. Uh, but that's what I'm assuming. Some think it could be Rome uh, or some other place that the book is being written to. Uh, it's got a heavy Jewish tone to it as it's using Old Testament to justify uh, the teachings. And so the people would be very familiar with the Old Testament. So that, that's a safe bet. But it, it's being written to Jerusalem uh, from somewhere else, possibly Rome. We can say we're going to see Italy here. Uh, but as we begin closing this, um, the last few verses are going to be kind of like a personal greeting to the leaders in wherever this is being sent to. And the leaders, uh, are, you should not think this is like a, a, a church, a Western church. Like we get people meeting in churches today in different buildings and different denominations. Uh, they've got property. They've got a... Uh, you know, a whole system set up. Uh, these are, again, I can say this fairly clearly, accurately. Uh, these are house churches. These people are meeting somewhere in someone's house. Or they're meeting, for example, the church in the book of Acts met on the Temple Mount in Solomon's Colonnade. Around the outside of the Temple Mount, there is a pillars and a, and a covered colonnade where they could meet in a where the, the sun, they'd be protected from the sun, protected from the weather. And so they'd be meeting in some public place like a, the temple until that was illegal for them. But they're meeting in church 
or houses for their churches. And so they, have, they don't have property. And in each of these churches, these house churches, there's going to be uh, some kind of leadership, you know, more than one person probably, some kind of leadership. And there's going to be many of these churches. So the leaders, let's say, you know, say there's five house churches in Jerusalem. You know, maybe there's 20, maybe there's two. I don't, you know, I don't know. But each of those would have some kind of leadership of those churches. So that's, that's kind of, this book is most likely being written to one of those leaders. Uh, he's not going to write it just to, you know, an average person in the church. I'm not saying everybody's average. But he's going to be re- writing it to someone that's over the church, that's in a leadership responsibility. And then all the other leaders are going to be greeted as we see this here. So here we go. Here's the uh, benediction, and then I'll read through the end of the ver- uh, the book, and then we will finish it teaching through those verses today. Chapter 13, verse 20. As the book ends, he says, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 22. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all the leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. So we'll come through those verses here. In a moment, on your notes, you've got the English Standard Version with the Greek underneath it. Uh, and as we read through this again, Now may the God of peace, who brought, back, brought, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Uh, and again, we, this is a review from last week. We've got to finish up verse 21. But the God of peace is going to be doing something. And we mentioned this last week. Uh, that's that's what we like to hear, the God of peace. But as uh, you know, like the T-shirt I showed you, I, I, oh, I don't know if I should do this online live. Uh, the T-shirt right here. We this he is the God of peace. But this this T-shirt that was given to me by my son and daughter-in-law. Uh, disappointments, all of you, as God looks down from heaven, and that's Romans chapter one because the Bible teaches uh, he is a God of wrath. Because of sin, rebellion in the world against God, the godlessness, Romans chapter 1, you can't even argue with that, that's biblical, look at the Garden of Eden, he creates Adam and Eve, and then the first thing he does after they sin is drive them out to the east from the Garden of Eden, and you know, the, the, the problem continues. But God is working on, has been working on a plan of salvation, he wants peace, but he can't just say, okay, okay, I'll just, I'll just drop down to your level and accept everybody as they are. He is eternal. I mean, he can't do that. He's eternal. His nature is eternal. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. But he's got to somehow deal with the wrath. And so as we continue here, we got some more definitions of the Lord here. Now may the God of peace, who brought, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Okay. The, the wrath by the blood of the eternal covenant. So he mentions Jesus was raised from the dead, and Jesus is identified as the great shepherd of the sheep. 
by the blood of the eternal covenant. So, so far what this is saying, the benediction is may the God of peace, which we know from the Bible, he's not the God of peace, he's the God of wrath. He's got to take care of sin. He's got to judge unrighteousness. But for some reason, he's become the God of peace. This wrath has been removed by, by the blood of the eternal covenant. And that is the covenant of Jesus. Jesus died but was raised back from the dead, and he is now the great shepherd of the sheep, the people that he is writing to, the author is writing to. Jesus is now today actively their shepherd. He was crucified, but yet raised from the dead. By that death and crucifixion, he established the blood of, uh, Jeremiah calls it the new covenant. Jesus referred to it as the blood of the new covenant. This word eternal probably is talking about Again, like I said last week, maybe it could be talking about eternity past. It was established in eternity past that this was going to come to pass. That could be the idea. But possibly in the context of this book, we're comparing the old covenant of the Old Testament that's been replaced by the new covenant. And this new covenant has now become the eternal covenant. It's not changing. You should not be thinking, well, what, when this doesn't work, what's God going to do next? No, no, no. This is going to work because it's the blood of Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, that God has made peace with mankind and has overridden his wrath. And again, that's where you understand the, the, the Christmas story, the angel singing, uh, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That's not, you know, a, a humanistic song of, if everybody just gets along, joins the United Nations, and we stop burning gasoline in our cars, there'll be world peace. Uh, that, that's not the idea. It's when Jesus was born, the angels were recognizing the fact that there is now peace between man and God on earth uh, because of what's about to take place through this man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has become a man. So a great Christmas story there and explains the, the angels' words. It goes on. Uh, now be the God of peace who brought back from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the great shepherd of the sheep. And we've talked about that extensively last week, looking at the sheep verses, or the, the shepherd verses. <clears throat> By the blood of the eternal covenant, because of this eternal covenant, this is what God is going to do today. Now, we know we've been saved by this covenant. Equip. Is that how you spell that word? I always want to put a T at the end of it because of equipment. Uh, equip you with everything good that you may do His will. He's going to equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, and the last thing here, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, that we will be able to do things and become things that are pleasing in his sight. So the God of peace overcame the wrath that he was pouring out on the earth. Now listen, this wrath, just like John three sixteen and 17 says, if you believe, uh, you have peace with God. But if you do not, his wrath remains on you. There's yet a day of God's wrath. God is holding back his wrath, but there is a day of coming where God will bring, we call it Armageddon, we call it the end times, we call it the second coming, it's called you know, the day of wrath, the, the day of the Lord. There's different ways of looking at it. God is going to pour out his wrath on the earth in total judgment, but he didn't do it in Genesis chapter 4. He didn't do it in Genesis 12 or in Exodus or in you know, all the way through the Bible. He, he didn't even do it in the God. He didn't even do it after the crucifixion. Instead, he raised Jesus from the dead, took Jesus into heaven, and said, go proclaim the gospel. The gospel is 
There is a way out. God, the God of peace is here. But that does not mean the day of wrath has been you know, erased. It's coming, and it's going to be a day of vengeance. But for now, the readers of this book, the God of peace, by the blood of the eternal covenant, it's not going to change. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, who's the great shepherd of the sheep. By the blood of the eternal covenant, this God of peace is going to equip the readers of this book and us as believers, equip us now with everything good for doing his will and doing what is pleasing in his eye. In other words, that is now that second phase of salvation. He's transforming us into becoming objects of his love, objects that he's pleased with, objects that we are actually doing what he desires, no longer the wrath and rebellion, but now we're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ on a day-by-day basis. And so this is, again, a great benediction. You can read it. I've read it when I've done funerals. It's usually the last thing I read at the gravesite. You know, no one really understands it. They're not paying attention, but I read it anyhow. But, I mean, you can just read this, and it sounds like liturgy from a church service, just empty words. But it is, again, loaded, and I'll read it here. Let me read it in the English Standard off the notes again. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, now equip you with everything good. So he's going to prepare you, like arming a soldier, arming a, a farmer, arming someone for their job. He's going to equip you with everything good. Now that word good, doesn't you can't transfer that into the human definition of what I like. Everything good. This is not good. You look at many things in the Bible that man would say, well, this is not good. God said, oh, no, no, this is exactly what you need. This is exactly what we want. And so he, in his divine position, his divine viewpoint, is going to be able to give you what is good, and that good is that you may do his will. Not good, I want this because I want to go here. No, this is good because now that you have God, what he considers good, you'll be able to do his will. Wait, 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 that's not what I want to do. Right, it's what God, you have been redeemed from wrath by the God who established peace, by the blood of the eternal covenant that shed through, on Jesus, Jesus Christ shed on the blood. Now you are, in, you're saved. Oh good, I don't have to go to hell. Right, but God also wants you as his possession. Notice, the shepherd of the sheep, you are the sheep of his pasture, and he's got a plan for you. Well, no, no, I've got a plan for my life. God, here is what I want you to do for me. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Now, listen, the shepherd tells the sheep where they're going. The sheep don't get together. Okay, now we've been thinking what we would like to do is get some water over here today, and there's some real nice pastures over here, and, and the shepherd says, ah, that's not the way we're going. We're going this way. And the sheep follow the shepherd. And so in, in our mind, okay, I don't, want to, I don't want to throw you under the bus with myself. But in my mind, when I think God is going to do something good, it's going to be good for helping prepare me to do what I'm planning on doing. And sometimes things happen in my life that I don't think is good and ends up doing this other thing that's like, well, that, that ain't what I had planned. Right, welcome to the sheepfold. It's like your God has, through the new covenant, is equipping you with everything good to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. 
Now, it, what we're going to be doing is that's what he created us for. That is what he wants to do. That's what he wanted to do from the beginning of time. He's working that in our life. Now, what I'm saying, I'm, I'm being like overstating it possibly, that doesn't mean everything that God does good in our life, we're like, oh, this is bad. And when we do God's will, we're like, oh, this is not what I wanted to do. And everything that we do that is pleasing in his sight, like, this is stupid. I mean, that's, this, we, can, we can be in agreement with this. And I think as we go through life and we mature, the more we come in line with God's will, uh, of God's understanding, the more we're transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, the more our definition of good and our personal will and what is pleasing to us lines up with him as we continue to walk in harmony. And that's the, that's the ministry of uh, the teaching of the word is to renew our minds. And the ministry of the Spirit of God that's come into our lives is to help this take place. So we are being transformed from objects of wrath out of Ephesians into those that recognize God's good will is good pleasing and perfect will out of romans chapter 12 as we are transformed so again those are kind of exciting verses uh, or an exciting benediction as he's closing down the god of peace who's turned away from his wrath because of jesus who is the shepherd of you the sheep by the eternal covenant he is now equipping you with everything that is good uh, uh, to do his will in what is pleasing in his sight and this is how it closes then it says, to whom be, or through, okay, then it says, through Jesus Christ. So all this is being done, not because all of a sudden you're a great person. It's the same Jesus who died on the cross to give you eternal salvation through the eternal covenant to get you out of the wrath. That same Jesus is now allowing this goodness to happen to you. He's interceding for us at the throne of God uh, the, the, through Jesus Christ. And then it says here, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Meaning, when this all takes place, when in my life, in your life, God is doing good things according to his will and it's pleasing to him, at the end, who gets the glory? All of this is going to result in Jesus Christ receiving glory because he's the one that's equipping us. He's the one that's the shepherd. He's the one who shed his blood for this eternal covenant to get us out of the wrath of God. If there's no Jesus, now this is crucial to this book. If for some reason you're going to try to pull this off, without jesus you just got god you know jesus no shepherd uh there's no equipping well there's no blood there's no eternal covenant god still has a good his will his pleasing but you are you say yeah but i'm gonna follow god you're you can't because you're still here and in this old covenant of the old testament it was all pointing towards the messiah that was going to come they had sacrifices they had rituals they they could they had a, a a shadow of god's good his his will what was pleasing to him but all this was pointing to jesus pointing to the messiah and the messiah was going to do the actual sacrifice the messiah was going to do things and be the real priest and create a real priesthood he was going to be a, a, a have provide the new covenant a better covenant an eternal covenant where these things would not be just rituals that you do this you don't eat that you go here you celebrate this feast you have this holy day okay we're just doing this it's like no that's been done away with you are now actually manifesting this good if you remove jesus you have you can't do that you cannot remove jesus from the concept of god of peace if people are talking about uh the god of peace uh god wants peace on the earth only through jesus because without jesus he's bringing wrath 
Uh, how about the Tower of Babel? They're all working together. They're going to unify, working together. And God says, uh, there's no Jesus. Uh, and he caused confusion. Whenever you see the world trying to get peace, and maybe even using God's name, you know, God wants peace. No, God wants you delivered from the wrath, and the only way you're going to get that is through Jesus Christ. Thus, this book is focusing on Jesus, who has a better priesthood, a better covenant, a better promises, a better sacrifice. And that is the benediction that we started last week and kind of wrapped up right here. And you've got other notes that you can see on this. Uh, going to page four. Now we get to the personal closing. Verses 22, 23, 24, and 25. Um, he begins here, I'm reading on page four in the English Standard Version. Uh, Again, I, I'm sorry if the, num- the pages are numbered wrong because I didn't print the front page of the notes and s- because that was, I would have had to print an extra page. And Anyway, that's, you're not missing anything. I just didn't print it because it was last week's notes. Uh, chapter 13, verse 22. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation for I, am, I have written to you briefly. Uh, there's several things in there. Uh, He's appealing to them, meaning he's asking them, please pay attention to this, listen to this. He, he knows what's best for them. The writer of this letter is one of the leaders of the church at some level. He, he may have been in their community and then moved on out, you know, maybe like Paul moved into the uh, traveling ministry. This person may have been there. And again, I don't know who wrote this. <laughs> it's just to do this real quick. <clears throat> Paul is probably uh, the popular uh, placement this they put a lot of times they'll put hebrews in with paul's writings and that's that's not that's not wrong that's that's a good yeah i disagree with that uh but that don't make someone that says paul wrote it a heretic or make me a heretic it's just it doesn't say you're just gonna have to not it's it's kind of a i like this kind of stuff because it's like why isn't this why isn't this clear uh well one not the nice thing about this even like end times why are things not clear uh, one of the things for that is you, you have to study. I mean, one, okay, you can say, who cares who wrote it? Uh, it's, it's the word of God, just accept it. That's, okay, that's safe, that's fair. It doesn't matter who wrote it. But yet, once you say it doesn't matter who wrote it, you don't know the author. And then, well, who'd they write it to? It doesn't matter, it was just written. Well, if you can figure out who it was written to, you can now go into that historical setting and make some application to their time. What, was, what were they addressing? If you've got an actual author that you can identify, it, it helps you, you know, put those pieces together. It's called hermeneutics. You need to know who wrote it. You need to know who it was written to. You need to know when it was written. If this was written in the 1800s, uh, it's going to change completely different meaning because there's clearly still a temple in operation. There's still Jewish people struggling with... Uh, their faith in christ they are jew we'd say they're jewish believers they believe in christ but yet they're looking back at the temple now you got that that cultural tension and we've talked about that and so it'd be nice to know the date you know and i put 63 now it might be 67 68 but that puts in the middle of the jewish wars it might be you know 60 uh that would be you know a little bit earlier that could fit uh but there's so many things in here that have paul's theology now what you're going to notice next week when we get into james is we're going to have the same discussion james wrote it now you got three different james that you can choose from 
the, the obvious conclusion, it doesn't say James the son of, or the brother of Jesus uh, in the text, but it's pretty clear, I think. And we'll talk about that. But you're going to have to decide who wrote it, and then it's like, when was it written? And what you're going to see next week in James as we introduce that is there's not a lot of theology of Paul in it. There's a lot of Paul. You can see Paul's ideas in this book, not necessarily worded the exact same way, but you see Paul's theology, uh, even with the idea of going to the Gentiles. Where in James, uh, that's why in church history, Martin Luther had trouble with it and others have, it's like it talks more about works and not faith. Like, it, it seems like there's a conflict. And part of that is, he's not writing, ag- some would say, well, he's writing against Paul, trying to undermine Paul's teaching. That could be, and this will be one of the discussions we'll have, he's writing against Paul, or he could be writing before Paul. So he's using terminology that he's explaining coming right out of the days of Jesus in the early church in Jerusalem. He's addressing the Jews in their faith, and it talks about Jesus. Jesus is mentioned two times, so it's almost like a letter that the Jews could accept, but he throws in Jesus in there twice, and it's not heavily about the Pauline theology. It's not against it, but it's kind of, in a sense, before it. Uh, and that's, then there's going to be a one that's a, a later date, you know, going back. Some say it's written in, you know, like 120 A.D. or something. But with that being said, that's why this is important, this question right here. You don't have to, some things you need to, you know, there's certain hills you need to die on. This is not one of them. If Paul wrote this, that's great. But there's certain things that doesn't make sense because there's, he, doesn't, he doesn't sign it. He doesn't address it. There, that could be he's writing to the Jews and he doesn't want, they, they don't like him because he's over preaching to the Gentiles. But he's writing back to Jerusalem, uh, and so he doesn't put his name on it, so no one knows exactly who wrote it. And that's, that's, that's true. That's a nice support for the author of Paul. Uh, others are Aquila and Priscilla. They traveled with Paul. They were great teachers coming out of uh, Alexandria, Egypt. And so they were familiar with the Old Testament. They could write it. I don't think they did, but there's, you can write your little list of why they wrote it, and you also write a list of why they didn't write it. I mean, you can't say, well, the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say who wrote it. It's just an author. My guess, and the way I'm going to go with, is Barnabas. Did I spell that correctly? Barnabas. I think Barnabas wrote it. Again, if you disagree with that, I'm not going to, like, wrestle you to the mat and say, you've got to agree with me. Uh, but that's just like I've got to say, who was it written to? I think it was written to the Jews in Jerusalem in 63 AD and to kind of build that case, but also be aware that you may have to adjust that. I may have to change the date, the location it was sent to, the author. But I think Barnabas wrote it. He's a Levite. We've talked about this before. And it's coming up right here in this verse. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you, written to you briefly. First of all, uh, we would not say this is a short letter, like we've talked about this before in passing, uh, because uh, it's a long letter. But if you're going to read it to a congregation, if you're going to, everyone's, the church is going to meet and you're going to read this letter from the author, it's, it's about a 45 minutes, you know, 60 minute read. It's, it's, it's the length of a sermon. It's got illustrations. It's got a point. It's, it's got a theme going throughout it. So he's, he's calling it a letter, but an exhortation, a letter uh, I've written to you briefly. So it's a brief sermon uh, compared to some that you could, I mean, I know for, in, again, 
in the Western world, if, if it, I had used to be at pastor church and, and I've had people, <laughs> you, you remember uh, uh, Doc, not Doc from here, but Doc from there. Uh, <laughs> He, I mean, I'm, I'm going into the, I'm going 15, 17, 18 minutes into the sermon, and he's like, he stands up, <laughs> he stands up, walks in front of the pulpit, looks up at me, and goes like this, <laughs> and and because it's like it's getting too long, I mean, we're we're pushing uh, 15. You were you were probably in elementary school, Jacob, but uh, it, it's like. It's like, I just, you know, it's like, I laughed. You know, it's like, what are you going to do? It's like, I just finished it, you know. Because I was preaching about 40, 45 minutes. You know, I was teaching through the Bible. If you're going to teach something, and that's where we're now, boy, whew, my mind just takes off. That's where we're at as a culture right now is, is the days of theology, the days of maturing in Christ. Obviously, it's never going to end. It's not like, well, it's over. But in the Western world, it can end in a culture culture ended or hope ended for places like the world in noah's day and god says okay we're done it ended for sodom and gomorrah when god says okay we're done there's jerusalem fell in 586 it fell in 70 a.d okay we're done there's always hope but you can work yourself into a place where you're not going to be able to go any further it's over and as we take and i can i i can experience in my own life and i'm i'm old if you can take your attention span and reduce it to that you can't take more than, you know, a four-minute little devotional message, and then let's get back to, you know, singing songs and clapping our hands and having coffee, it's like, my friends, you're not going to mature. You're, you're done. It's like, well, we, can't we do this faster? Uh, no, we can't. Uh, God has been working the plan. Can't God bring about salvation quicker? Well, I don't know, but he started in the Garden of Eden saying the, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. Let's get on with it. Well, when's it going to happen? Is it, is it Cain and Abel? Nope. Is it Noah? Nope. Is it uh, Isaac and Abraham? Nope. It's like, well, when is it? When's it going to happen? I mean, it was like four or 5,000 years. And here we are, 6,000 years, or you know, depending on how you're going to date time. It's like, what, when are you going to do this? It's going to take time. Okay, well, I want, to get, I want to become a Christian, and I want to follow Christ. Okay, well, uh, say the sinner's prayer, and now just do good things. Okay, got it. I'm a Christian. I'm going to pastor a church. And now we're going to have our little devotion. Here's some coffee. Bring more people. It's like, what? You're just, you're just collecting people, giving them coffee. and have, It's like, you're going to have to sit them down and say, this is the God of wrath. He is going to smoke the earth. Well, not my God. Yeah, yeah, you're God. Why is he going to do that? Oh, you don't know why he's going to do that? It's called sin. It's called rebellion. It's like, who, 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 I thought Jesus died on the cross. Right, to pay for this. But if you don't, it's like, I, I, that just seems so complicated. Right, because I can't give it to you in a 30-second TikTok video clip. It's like, you're going to have to focus. Uh, and we're, get, we're raising up a generation potential. Again, I'm not going to blame TikTok. I'm not going to make it that simple. But we're creating a generation whose attention span, and I can feel it in my own life, if I, if I watch a video, it's like, oh, this is a great video. It exposes the truth. I look at, first thing I look at is, guess what I look at? How long is it? If it's three minutes, I might give it a shot. If it's 90 minutes, I'm like, I don't have 90 minutes to find the truth. I'll just go back to watching little you know, video <laughs> clips of you know, Shaq taking crazy shots or whatever. It's like, this is better. It's like, here's the truth. It's going to take you 90 minutes. I don't know. 90 minutes. <laughs> And so, I mean, I'm experiencing that. And I'm old, meaning I'm old in the sense that I come out of the 60s 
where you'd have to, I mean, you'd have, well, classic example, to change the channel from channel three to channel 10 or channel 12, those are the three channels we got, you'd have to like get up, walk across the room and go click, 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 click. And then if you sat down and didn't like the volume, you'd have to stand back up. It's like, and then you have to watch a TV movie and then every like seven minutes, they'd have three minutes of commercials. And so like an, an hour and a half movie would be well, like a three hour commitment because you got to sit through all the commercials. It's like, so to go to church and listen to a church sermon for like 45 minutes was like, you know, that was, you know, more, it, even then it was, t- sorry to tell you wrong. Okay, boy, oh boy, is that off subject. Okay. <laughs> Not really, because he says right here, and this, I mean, and every one of you has to think that when you look at this right here, Chapter 30, verse 22, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you briefly. You're like, wait a minute. The book of Philemon is brief, and Ephesians is only like six chapters. Hebrews is one of the big books, and he's calling it brief. It's like, what world is he coming from? What church can he go to? I've written you 13 chapters. It's only brief, but I just wanted to encourage you a little bit here. Just sit down and read it one day in in church. It's like, you understand, well, it took us, it took me like two years to get through it, but can you imagine bringing a group of Western Christians into a room and says, today, we're going to read to you the book of Hebrews. What verse? Oh, all 13 chapters. It's like, what? Are we going to take a break? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, well, just follow along in your Bibles. I, I don't have a Bible. It's like, and so it's like, you can see the, uh, the difference, right? Okay. But he's writing, again, uh, more of a sermon, than in, and it's in a letter form. Uh, the idea here is, uh, it says exhortation. I've got that in a square there, the word exhortation. And it's point three. Exhortation is paraklesis in the Greek. Uh, means a calling to one's aid. So in other words, he is coming alongside he's he's being called to their aid they need encouragement he's being called to their aid and it can be translated as these words an imploration a supplication an entreaty admonition encouragement is how they translated it here a consolation comfort solace in other words he's coming alongside i've only taken uh, i know i could have wrote more i just wrote you this brief letter to come alongside and encourage you to give you some comfort i know there's some things going on in your church in your congregation you're being tempted to look at the temple and we're being rejected by society because we're not going to the temple we're not following all the jewish laws we're embracing jesus who these people think is a false messiah in fact the romans crucified him because he's a criminal and we're embracing him as god it's like yeah okay i'm just encouraging you're on the right track this is a new covenant it's got better promises yeah but we're losing so much ground here in our society right now because we're being rejected no you're got better promises in the coming age than anything you can get in this age so stay focused on where we're going jesus is returning he's setting up his kingdom i'm just encouraging you so that's that's the purpose right here is to encourage them and there's the words um i do want to point this out it just again i wrote the word barnabas up here i'll do it again Again, this is, I just think this is interesting. Barnabas, I spell that correctly again. Um, point three, uh, B, in Acts 13, verse 15, Paul and Barnabas provided a, quote, word of exhortation in the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch. When they were tra- Paul and Barnabas traveled together. So Barnabas and Paul would have gotten some, you know, obviously they would have had their theology on the same page. 
uh, Paul, Barnabas would have heard Paul. When compared to a sermon or homily, which this is, we can consider it short. It can be read in about, out loud in less than an hour. It does not seem like, it does seem like a long letter. Okay, da da da, turn the page. Uh, point D on the page five. The letter would take about an hour to read out loud into an assembly if it were read as a sermon or homily. Then in Acts 4, verse 36, Barnabas is introduced in the book of Acts. Now, Barnabas was originally or was at some point from Cyprus. He lived in Cyprus. Barnabas was a Levite, but he is also in the book of Acts seen in Jerusalem. So a Levite would put him in a position of, of being in the priestly sector. He would be like a servant uh, uh, in the temple, in that, that class of people. He would have been a scholar. Uh, the role, one of the roles of the Levites was to teach the people, which is interesting, which, oh man, I always run down this road, I shouldn't. But Mary, because she was related to Elizabeth, who was married to a priest, who was John the Baptist's father, that means Mary, Jesus' mom, had some kind of connection to the Levitical priestly tribe and their teaching and scholarship, and she was the mother of Jesus, James, and jude and we're about to read the book of james and one of the criticisms of the book of james is it's pretty well written it's pretty it's got a lot of greek thought it's very advanced in its writing it surely can't be written by a carpenter from nazareth and there's several reasons why that well number one reason is uh well his mom was related to the levitical tribe and grew up in a house that had constant teaching going on and so you know that's another side of the story but nonetheless that's interesting uh, he was a Levite from Cyprus in Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 4, I've got this written down in the, in the notes right here. Here's the verse. Thus Joseph, his name is not Barnabas. Barnabas' name is Joseph. That's his name, Joseph the Levite. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. In other words, he saw the people in Jerusalem were in need. So he was a native of Cyprus, which means that's where he was born. But he came to Jerusalem. He was related to, we know he's a cousin of, John Mark. Mark, the author of the book of Mark. There, he's, he's a cousin. So he's related to John Mark's mother, who was uh, uh, owner of a house in Jerusalem, probably where the Last Supper was held. Now, you own a house that's big enough for the church to meet in in Jerusalem. Uh, there's going to be some kind of money there, some kind of, you know, they're not all, you know, there's, there's going to be poor people. There's going to be wealthy people involved in the church and the followers of Jesus. So Barnabas is related to John Mark, who's related to, obviously, his mother who owns a house. So this is his family in Jerusalem. He comes back meets with the church, sees the church is in need, so he sells a field. Uh, the field may have been in Cyprus. The Levites, according to the law of Moses, were not allowed to own property. All the tribes had property, but the Levites, they had designated cities they could live in, and they were supposed to be serving in the temple. Their provisions came from people bringing sacrifice and donations to the Lord that was then distributed to the priests and the Levites. So by this time, though, that was not necessarily followed because they'd been through you know, captivity. They'd come back. So 
the fact that he owns land is a challenge if you're following the law of Moses, but the land may have been in Cyprus, which is not the Holy Land. You could own land outside, uh, and even by this time they weren't following. Nonetheless, he s- sells this land and gives it to the church to help finance some of the people that were suffering. The point being right there, you can see the word that I've in, in point E, Acts 4.36. You've got your Greek box right there. And the word for where it says son of encouragement, I've got that in a box. It's paraklesesos. And if you turn back one page, I've got the same word in a box in chapter 13, verse 22. Paraklesesos, it's the same word. So he wrote this word of exhortation. Now what's interesting is point one on page five, point one under E, Acts 4.36. Barnabas is actually the word bar, which means son, like the son of. And so this should be son of encouragement. But that is Nabus, and Nabus is Nabe, or it means prophet, or it could mean refer a city. He's a son of prophet, or he's a son of this location. This word right here, Nabus, does not mean uh, does not mean city, or, or or excuse me, encouragement. It means something like prophet or something. So the it's like which means he was called Barab or Barnabas, which means, and there it says it it's uh, well let me read it. It says it uh, a word translated means uh, to translate or to interpret. So the, a tr- direct translation of this would be son of prophecy or son of prophet. And so that's not a direct translation, but the word also can mean interpreted this way. And it was common among the Jews. You can see Jesus do it twice when he named his disciples. He calls Simon, <laughs> call you Cephas, which means Rocky. Uh, he changed his name from Simon to Peter or the rock. Uh, James and John, uh, they're James and John, right, I call you sons of thunder. And so he's naming people based on their character traits. He would recognize they had a name. Yeah, they, that was your parent gave you that name, but I know you. You're a rock, and you're two sons of thunder. Come with me. And right here, Joseph, whose his name is Barnabas, son of prophet, that those go together. He, his name is interpreted right here. I'm going to read it to you right here out of, out of Acts. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So right there, his first action is to sell a field and give the money away. And not for anything, but these people need help. I need to encourage them. I need to comfort them. I need to give them solace. I need to be there for them. I'm going to help them. So right here, he writes, whoever's writing this letter, whoever's writing this letter, he calls this letter a short letter of exhortation, a short letter of encouragement. And it just seems to match perfectly. He's a Levite. He knows the scriptures. Uh, He's uh, concerned about Jerusalem. So he's been to Jerusalem, but he's away from Jerusalem and is wanting to come back to Jerusalem. So he's, in a sense, a leader of the church of Jerusalem that's absent, and he is a son of encouragement. That is his name. His very nature would be... And, and you can you could go around you name people. I sometimes do that, you know, even jokingly or mockingly. Don't call people by their name. I do refer to them by some character trait, and it's just like, especially privately, not to embarrass them or something like that. And you know, I have my own list of names for people because I don't know anybody's name. I can't remember names. So I just Jesus maybe had trouble with names. So he just named people after character. I don't. I don't think so. No, Jesus didn't have trouble with names. 
Um, but anyway, that's just interesting. That doesn't mean anything other than this would match Barnabas. And he's, he knows this is a, a word of encouragement. Now we're getting into some personal information here and what's going on, the ground, going on on the ground in 63 AD as he's closing this letter down. So what that verse just said, as I read this one more time, he says, I appeal to you. He's asking them, don't, don't give up on this. Don't walk away from this. Take this to heart because I'm trying to encourage you. You're having trouble with the old covenant and persecution in your society. I'm trying to encourage you. Stay strong. You have a better covenant. You have Jesus Christ with, with better promises. Just this, I'm encouraging. You're doing the right thing. It doesn't feel like it's the right thing, but God is giving you good things. You're doing God's will, and it's pleasing to God. Keep going this way. Yeah, but this side looks better. It's like, no, you're, I, I'm encouraging you. Stay here. And I've given you a short letter of encouragement or exhortation. For I have written to you briefly. Chapter 13, verse 23. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released. Here's another clue. uh, But how are you going to use this? Our brother Timothy. So he's writing to, again, there's, you see I'm building and you've got, I'm like, what's that game? Jenga where you stack all those blocks and you pull them out. I'm stacking Jenga blocks. And if you, I'm saying it's written to Jerusalem. See what I'm saying? It's written to the church in Jer- Jer- Jerusalem. I'm saying it's written in 63 B.C. The Bible doesn't say it's written to Jerusalem. It, A.D., thank you very much. It doesn't say it was written in 63 A.D. It doesn't say Barnabas wrote it. But see, I'm, it's a Jenga stack. And so if this changes, then all of a sudden the date, it's like, so, and say, well, you, oh, I was going to say, why why does god do that why doesn't god make some of these things clear one of the reasons i was going to say earlier i never finished my thought is it forces you to study you've got to now go deeper and deeper and deeper you can't just watch a 90 second video and whole bibles explained in 90 seconds because all you got to do is read the bible and realize there's contradictions here there's confusion it's like what they're quoting the old testament and the new testament that's misquoted it's like this is none of this is true it looks like what is going it's like oh wait 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 this all fits together there's an explanation for all of this can you tell it to me uh in in less than 90 seconds <laughs> no well then i don't have that well then you're never going to understand you're always going to be a skeptic you're always going to be critical you're always going to be an unbeliever but all this can be explained so anyway that's why I, I don't mind pursuing this people say well you're wasting your time who cares well i care because it helps give some teeth to this whole process especially when you put it in context right here now we add to this timothy interestingly here and you may not have recognized this but timothy is the only person mentioned in this book again they name abraham and isaac and all the people of faith of the old testament they mention jesus but there's no one there's no other name in this except timothy and again who is timothy well you know there could be many timothys but the assumption is just like james is mentioned in the book of james just by the name james it's like whoever received that book from James, that letter from James, they knew who he was. If it's James, the guy that owns the field south of Jerusalem, it'd be James the Southerner or something like that. It's like, who is this James? That's James the Southerner. You may not have heard of him. But they say James, it's like, oh, James. They would do. Same thing, Timothy. Well, which one? The one that traveled with Paul? No, no, no. Timothy the lesser or whatever. Timothy the, the tall. Timothy the crooked noses, or whatever. It's like uh, there would be some reference. So I think we're safe in assuming, again, adding to the Jenga stack. Is that the right word, Jenga? Am I saying that right? We're going to add, this is Timothy. 
that traveled with Paul. And he traveled with Paul, and Timothy was assigned to the church of Ephesus. You can see this in Scripture. He says, when Paul writes to him in 1 Timothy, he says, the reason I left you there in Ephesus, and the idea there is he abandoned him in Ephesus, but the idea also is that's you're in charge. It's not a temporary, you could say, well, he was there for a while, just he'd established and was going to move on. Timothy was left, and church history records, Ephesus was his home. He stayed in the, in fact, was killed in Ephesus, according to church tradition, when he stood against the, pro, protested against the marching, uh, worshiping of an idol. He says, you do not know, well, I maybe have it written down here, basically saying, you, you continue to worship these things that don't make any sense. He says, I'm trying to give you the truth, and, the, and they killed him. He, by that time, he was an old man. So Timothy we're going to assume from the scriptures and from church history is going to, when he's released from wherever, he's going back to Ephesus. And so we can see Timothy being asked by Paul to come visit him in prison in 67 AD. We can see that he's with Paul in prison in 62 AD between, uh, well, let's just say 60 and 62 AD. So there's this time right here between Paul being released from prison and we don't know where he went at 62 AD, we don't know where he went in the Bible. But you do have in Romans where it says he wants to get to Rome, he tells the Romans, so that I may take an offering and you can send me further to the west to Spain. That's in the scriptures. It doesn't say he went. That was his goal to get to Rome. Then from Rome, thank you very much. You guys are doing the right thing. Send me on to Spain. And if he got out of prison in Rome in 62 AD, if he followed his plan, he went to Spain. He's back in the area by 67 AD, back in the area of Asia Minor, Ephesus. He's arrested in Troas and taken to prison again in Rome in 67 AD. So he's got a five-year span right there where he's gone. My guess is he didn't take Timothy with him because Timothy's been assigned to Ephesus, and so Timothy would be in Ephesus because he's like the bishop, the head leader of the church of Ephesus. And so Paul's got this time period right here, and that would fit this book, see, 63 AD. It would fit. During this time, we do not know where Paul's being, or Timothy's being released from. Like we said, uh, uh, as soon as Timothy has been released, has he been released from, you know, the hospital? Has he been released from his military service? Has he been released from prison i mean it doesn't say where we assume he's been put in prison but again that's that's a jenga block we're adding here he's in prison and that prison i would guess maybe he's in ephesus that he's done he's already he's going to get killed in ephesus by the society he was there in 57 a.d when the riots broke out against paul and the whole city shut down and they filled up the theater that you can still go visit today you can still see the theater they filled up shouting great is diana of artemis and paul was afraid for his life uh timothy was there for that so there's been several times eventually he's going to be killed in ephesus martyred so he may have been put in prison for a time we do, i don't think we know this imprisonment but there it is so now we've got the author saying this. You understand what I'm saying? You see my Jenga stack there? Again, say, well, some would say, that doesn't even matter. Just read the text of Scripture. Okay, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Wow, that's a real blessing. Well, who are you ta- what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about this right here, trying to build a stage for it so you can have some kind of understanding. Uh, point one, you should know could be an indicative or an imperative meaning the author could be reminding them 
uh, you should know, meaning I'm reminding you, you know that when Timothy's out, you know that I'm coming to you. Uh, you already been told this. Or it's an imperative, meaning uh, giving them new information. You should know that when Timothy's released, I'm coming to you. Understand, I'm going to be, it's, it's indicative. I'm, I'm giving you directions. And so again, it doesn't matter much. Either they know or they're being told for the first time. If Timothy is in Rome, then this letter is being sent from Rome to somewhere else. We're going to see in the next verse, this letter is, comes along with whoever the author is, if it's Barnabas, those from Italy also greet you. So Italy is involved in this. And as we said last week, as we were just blowing through this, that means they're writing from Italy, potentially. And so Barnabas would be in Italy and the church in Italy, maybe the church in Rome says, hey, say hi to our brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. Or it can mean he's in Ephesus where Timothy's in prison and he's waiting for Timothy to get out of prison and those from Italy who have moved to Ephesus, like who? Like, uh, uh, you know, uh, the tent makers. Aquila and Priscilla, I just said them. They, they moved from Rome they got kicked, all the Jews got kicked out of Rome. It's even recorded in history. The Bible records it uh, by, by Claudius, I think it was. They kicked them out and they had to flee. So they're in Ephesus or Corinth. I just forgot. Where did Aquila and Priscilla go when they got kicked out? They go to Corinth or Ephesus? Oh, great. And no one's been paying attention to me for the last 20 years. I just forgot. Now everybody's watching online. They're going, you idiot. It's <laughs> I just forgot. Oh, wait, okay. He went and, and made tents in Corinth. He made tents in Corinth at, with Aquila and Priscilla. Okay. But they also, okay, here's what got me confused. They also have a house in Ephesus because the church meets in their house in Ephesus and Paul greets them in Ephesus. They, they were brought over to teach along with Timothy in Ephesus. Okay, here's okay. So yeah, they were kicked out of Rome, moved to Greece in Corinth, and they ended up across in Asia Minor in Ephesus going back and forth. They're helping Paul, uh, Paul with his churches. See how interesting this is? <laughs> I, I think it's interesting. Okay. So those in Italy could be, for example, from Aquila and Priscilla when they all got driven, and they'd go to, into a community, and of course they would gather together, like we're all from Italy, and they'd have their own church. So greet those, those from Italy greet you. They may be in Ephesus, having come from Italy, and that's where Barnabas is at, maybe ministering in that fellowship, that church, you know, the house church of the Italians in Ephesus, or he may be in Italy somewhere in a church outside of Rome, or he may be in Rome. Either way, when Timothy comes out of prison, they're going to connect, he's going to meet up, and I'm, when Timothy comes, I'm going to bring him down to meet you in Jerusalem. Now there's a question that doesn't make sense with my Jenga stack. Why and when is Timothy interested in Jerusalem? Why would Timothy, in the heat of all that's going on in the churches, and they've already got leadership in churches, why would Timothy come to Jerusalem? Paul went to Jerusalem and just got in trouble and got sent into prison. God never even wanted Paul to go to Jerusalem. He's, a, he's an apostle to the Gentiles. So that would mean this isn't being written to Jerusalem because if Barnabas is coming to visit the Jews, the St. Christians in Jerusalem, why would he bring Timothy? Which means now this has to change right there. And now, shouldn't I got Jews living in Asia Minor somewhere? So you understand that that's, you just got to keep all those pieces on there, on the, on the puzzle board. Okay, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 23. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Meaning this Barnabas or whoever's writing this is on his way to visit this church 
and if Timothy's ready to go, if he's out of prison, he's coming with me, but I'm leaving on this date. I think Timothy's going to be able to come along. Uh, point three on page five, I write this, the best we have of extra-biblical church tradition concerning Timothy. After we see him in Ephesus in 2 Timothy, Timothy remained in Ephesus for the rest of his life. Paul urged Timothy to stay in Ephesus and fight the false teaching there when he wrote 1 Timothy 1.3. Uh, he was martyred for his faith in Ephesus. Ephesus. Ephesus is the traditional burial place of Timothy, so the place of uh, the burial of Mary and John. D, other accounts say Timothy was martyred after the exile of John during the reign of Domitian in 97 AD at the age of 80. A couple of accounts record that Timothy was beaten while rebuking the procession of a festival of idolatry by calling it ridiculous. And calling on on Twitter, called it ridiculous on Twitter, and calling them to turn uh, and turn trying to turn them to the true God, and then they just beat him. Uh, we'd say cancel him, but there was more than just losing your Twitter account. He got beat to death. You had to go out in the streets those days. You didn't have Twitter. You had to go out and actually say it to people, and they wouldn't just cancel you. They could have to beat you. So that's what's nice about social media. You can mouth off. People can cancel you, and you don't get hurt except emotionally. Uh, the author and Timothy were close associates. Uh, Timothy is the only Christian mentioned by name. Others are mentioned. Okay, chapter 13, verse 24, as we come to a hurried end. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. So that would be all the leaders in the, in the community churches, the, the house churches, and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. I mean, if they're in Rome, right into the Jerusalem church, Timothy's getting out of prison in Rome, going to hook up with Barnabas or wherever the author is, and they're coming to Jerusalem. That's simple. But you can move this thing, like I said, over to Ephesus, and they're not going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to be going to another town. Obviously, some place that's got a heavy Jewish population because there's a lot of art discussion with the Jews. Um, and I explain all that, I think, point one and point two. And then finally, chapter 13, verse 25, grace be with all of you. Very simple, but wait. I can spend an entire week on it if you give me time. The book closes with the final benediction that is also a prayer. It's a benediction, grace be with all of you, but it's also prayer. He's praying that grace be with them. And grace is, again, God's gift, God's unmerited favor, meaning you're, you're, you're where you're at because God has sent Jesus. He's established a new covenant. He's now equipped you for everything doing good. God is doing a work in your life. You just continue to receive God's work in your life and continue to grow. Uh, point three, I write, continue in faith and worship in an acceptable way. That's the key right there. In an acceptable way. You're going to get distracted if you start going to God with some religious system, some works or something. You've got to continue to grow and understand. And here's what we got. We got the word grace used right here in Hebrews. We got five times right here. Hebrews 2.9. Uh, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by grace, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You're all going to suffer death and the wrath of God, but Jesus suffered death and the wrath of God for everyone. And so by grace, you're going to avoid death and the grace of or the and the wrath of God. Now I say death, I don't mean physical death, I mean eternal damnation separation from god hebrews 4 6, 6 so you've got this because of what jesus did Four sixteen. let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need so now that you are saved by faith or saved by grace you have this covenant of grace 
in your time of need on this earth, you go to the throne of grace and God will give you grace to help you here. It's like, well, how do I, what do I need to do this now? You just need to keep going to God. You just need to keep going to God and thinking like God thinks, renewing your mind and trusting in him. Hebrews 10, 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? Whoa, there's the flip side. Grace, grace, grace. But all of a sudden you say no to Jesus. No, and you trample underfoot that entire covenant. I'm going to go to God my own way. Not that you're going to go smoke and start doing drugs and a bunch of evil things. You're saying, I don't need Jesus. I'm going to go to God because God loves everybody. Well, 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 that's no, 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 wait, wait, wait. God is sending everyone to the lake of fire. But because he loved them, he sent Jesus. Your only hope is to go to God through Jesus. I'm not going to. Well, you've just trampled the son of god and you have outraged the spirit of grace that's a serious state say well what what are you doing some wicked things yeah you said no to jesus that i'm just going to do good and i just i just think god is happy because i do good for other people i care about other people i'm a i'm a stinking good person are you saying i'm a bad person i think god is happy with me you think god's happy with you yes what about the grace i don't need the grace me and god we're like we're good You've just outraged the spirit of grace. The only way you stand before God is because of grace. And you tell God, I don't need grace. You and me are buddies. It's like, he's like, uh, no, we're not. You're only in the family because of what Jesus did by his grace, his blood, his calling, his grace. And now you're standing in front of me talking about what you're going to do. It's like, yeah, you just outraged the spirit of grace. You outraged the very spirit of God who's revealing the truth to you. I think we see that in Mark chapter 3. We talked about that last Monday night. Uh, the unforgivable sin. It's like, uh, it's over for you. Hebrews twelve fifteen. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Do not let someone come to your church or your Bible study or be in Christian fellowship with you and they think, yeah, you know, we're all good people. We're all going to heaven. It's like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. Don't miss the grace of God. There's only one train to heaven. It's Jesus Christ and his payment for your sin and you walking in his grace. Well, you know, I think, you know, everybody, no, 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 don't be making stuff up here, folks. It's like, don't miss the grace of God. We all find, that's one of the reasons I left Iowa Christian Academy, that, that one of the, the leaders of the school board stood up said, we all find God our own way. It's like, whoa, whoa, what did you say? Some people find it through baptism. Some find it through good works. We all find God. It's like, holy smokes, you're missing the grace of God. You're trampling underfoot the blood of Jesus. You've outraged the spirit of grace. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. And then they didn't, they didn't like me. They thought I was like, well, you're so critical. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I guess you want to call it critical thinking. Uh, Hebrews 13, 9, do, you, do not be led away by diverse and strange teaching. There you go. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teaching. We all find God our own ways. Well, that sounds, we all stand before God on our own. It's like he'll judge each of our hearts. Oh, yes, yes. And I think God, you know, he didn't create us to judge us. And, and the God, God made me this way. God made me this way. I know you're that way and you're that way, but I'm this way. Yeah, I've got a short temper. I, I don't get along with people. Sometimes I shoplift. But hey, God made me this way. I'm okay. I, you're okay. I'm okay. Uh, do not be led away by diverse and strange teaching. That, my friend, is a strange teaching. So, I mean, it's like, 
And, and, but, but in our culture, you've, we've created an environment with our you know, 30 second video clips. Don't, you're, you're saying that's wrong? Well, nah, yeah, who am I to, I don't know. No, I'm not saying that's wrong. I don't want to be critical. I don't want to. Yeah, probably we all find God our own way. It's like, no, you, you've got to be able to say, that's a diverse and strange teaching. Uh, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And here it is, not by foods. And that, their problem was they're finding God's favor by not eating certain foods. Why, is, why does God like you? I don't eat pork. It's like, that, why, why, why is God blessing you? Well, you know, you've ever seen me eat bacon? I don't eat bacon. It's like, okay, that's a strange thing. That's the law of Moses, but it's now become a strange teaching because there's now a new eternal covenant by grace in Jesus Christ. So, point three, continue in faith and worship in an acceptable manner. That is the theme of this book. Continue in faith and worship in an acceptable, acceptable way, which is based in the new covenant. And then amen means verily or truly, or in this case right here, as it ends the sentence, so let it be. That's it. Well, I think, so let it be. That's, that's the end. That's it. That's the way it is. Amen. But I, I, I got a different opinion. Uh-huh. Amen. Doesn't matter. It's like this is, again, now my interpretation, you see, see my Jenga stack right here? That, that's, that's not amen, so be it. That's like Galen trying to figure out, you know, when, where this is all written. The context there is pretty solid. I'm going to pray, and we're done. Father, do thank you for the chance to look into your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be believers, to receive this grace. We do ask that we would embrace it and allow this grace to transform us, to think and act like Jesus Christ at this time in history. We ask that we may shine a light, that we may proclaim the truth, and that the Spirit would open eyes as we continue to work in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.